All right, start finding a place to sit down there. So any, uh, any bizarre stories uh, that anyone heard that was a favorite childhood story? What was the uh, strangest childhood story someone heard just in the last moment or so? Anyone? Oh, sure. I ask a question, everyone's quiet. I always like the stories that are the originals. You know, it's not all Disneyfied. You know, where the wolf eats someone, and then the guy chops it open and pulls the people out. I think those are, those are my favorite stories. But uh, have any of you heard the story of the boy raised by bears? Anyone heard me tell that story before? Yeah, I won't go the whole story again. But a few months ago, I actually probably over a year at this point, things go so fast here. Uh, the kids came up front at the beginning of a message time, and I told them this story. It's a story of a boy raised by black bears who's then rescued by campers and taught to be fully human. And as I was telling the story to the kids, I asked them if they thought it was a, a true story. They didn't believe the bear part a whole lot, but I, I kind of tricked them. And then when I said, well, it wasn't quite a true story. That was part of a truth story. Then I asked them if they believed the part about being rescued by campers, and of course I'd tricked them again, so they said no. And I said, well, that part's actually completely true. And so this crazy story I put together uh, was actually a story about me. It was a way of me describing to kids and to those who were listening in my life as I came to know Christ, and that before Christ, I very much lived, not literally, but man, existentially, <laughs> As someone who'd been raised by bears, you know, very independent, aggressive, foraging for myself, that was my story. And then the camper part was actually fairly true. This wonderful Christian camp program that this little country church in the corner of a potato field ran just up the, uh, I think at the time, the dirt road from my house in northern Maine, was where, for the first time, I really began to understand who Christ was who he is, and see lived out in their lives the reality of forgiveness and his leadership in a, in a life that has a, more of a purpose. And it was through those experiences and getting involved in that community that, that I began to understand who God had made me to be. And so living as the, as the full person that he intended me to be began at that point. And so that was my story. And everyone here has a story. may not be put in a clever way with bears, but though that would be cool if anyone has a bear story as part of their life. Uh, but there's this wonderful saying from, from the Talmud. That's this uh, collection of teachings and explanations that the Jewish people put together over the centuries to explain the Hebrew scriptures. In the Talmud, there's this saying that says, God made people because God loves stories. And so, as we're wrapping up this series, text messages, as we notice that we live in an age where it's, it is instant messaging, it's clever abbreviations, it's Facebook posts, blog posts, uh, Twitters, tweets, everything in between. Thank you, Terry. Um, it's important to remember the power of story. And 
to not miss in all the quickness of the things we tell each other how powerful those stories can be. So we're going to look at that tonight and see what might happen if we come to understand our own story better and then what could take place if we were to share that story, if we were to tell it to others and what God might do through those experiences. And so I think some of the most powerful stories are the ones we find in Scripture. And so I want us to go there for a while tonight. It's a story found in John chapter 9. And you don't need to flip in your Bible if you don't want to. You can if it helps you not lose your place. But I don't want to put words on the screen. I want us to hear the story or, or see the story. Much more the way it was originally given. See, the scriptures we have weren't written down and handed out. It was all oral tradition. It's all a spoken story that then was gathered, collected, and under God's grace and direction by the Holy Spirit came to us as scriptures. And so to just hear and see this story, I think should be part of the process. But I want us to look at the features of this story, what happens in John 9, and what we might draw from that for our own stories, okay? So let's pray. God, we ask you that as we now turn to the story of Scripture, a story that is both a truth story and a true story, that you would open our, our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to receive that story and to see how our story can be a part of what you're doing in this world and in and through us as well. Speak to us, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen. And so here's the story. It's the story of a man born blind from birth. We pick it up in John chapter 9, verse 1. And it begins, as Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, sin is part of the story, right? Rebellion, falling short of God's best for us, not doing the things he calls us to. It's part of the story. And so the disciples ask an appropriate question. What's gone wrong here? But just because sin's part of the story doesn't mean it's the whole story. And so Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents have sinned to cause this blindness. No, he was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. There's always more to the story. So verse 6, when Jesus had said this, he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud on the man's eyes. I can imagine that. It's, it's kind of cruel if you think about it. You're blind, and you hear this, you know, and a What's that? A little kind of wet, moist noise going on nearby. And then, oh, all of a sudden. And then Jesus says, go, wash. Well, sure, I think I will. Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And then he went and washed and came back able to see. Something happened there. Something deeply personal. And that's where the story gets interesting. What, per- 
personal things, not someone else's story, not someone else's life, but in your own life, what events have happened that shape your story? Whether you think it's a story with a happy ending or a happy middle or a happy beginning or one that's bad through and through, what personal things have shaped your story? For this guy, this is a pretty profound event. And so because this this takes place, his story takes a twist and a turn, and others begin to notice. And it says the neighbors, because there's always neighbors watching our story unfold, says the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask. See, that was the story before. The blind guy who begs. That was the whole story everyone believed about him. But as they saw this change, they began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? You see, a good story has intrigue. A good story raises questions. A good story is lived out so that others can see it. Does your story have intrigue? As anyone looks on your life, does it raise questions? Again, good or bad? And so the response to this particular story, verse 9, says that some were saying, oh, it's him. While others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. And he kept saying, no, I'm the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And then I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Tell it straight. Don't make up stuff you don't know. Your story is good enough as it is. And I so appreciate that he doesn't guess. Now, to be fair, he doesn't know what Jesus looks like. <laughs> Jesus might be right there, sort of wiping the mud off his hands, so for the big reveal later. It's okay not to know all the details of your story just yet. In fact, it's worse. Any of you have friends like that? That whenever there's, there's folks having a conversation and the stories get told around the, the table, late at night in the dorm room, out in the backyard, the porch, wherever you are with friends, you ever have that friend that always has to tell a better story and embellish and add details and, and tell you, yeah. anyone have that friend? If you don't have that friend, if you don't know a person like that, Your friends probably do. (laughs) Don't make up stuff. Just tell your story. And so, verse 13, they brought him to the Pharisees, those religious leaders and authorities in the community, those who got to say what was an approved story or not. And they brought to the Pharisee the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day that special holy day of worship. 
that had special rules and regulations about what you could do and couldn't do. Like you weren't supposed to work. There were certain things that you stayed away from. And it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And said, then the Pharisees also began to ask this man how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Notice how his story keeps getting a little tighter as he retells it. The more we tell our story, the more effortless it becomes in a good way. I know when I first began to tell my story of what Christ had done in my life as a, as a young man, it was awkward, fumbling. But the more I told it, the easier it became to tell it in a way that was coherent and helpful to others. And I know some of us in here have a, have a story to tell, but we don't because we're worried that we will be incoherent. We'll trip over our words, we'll say stupid things. And I just wanna put your mind at ease. You will be incoherent. You will trip over your words, you will say stupid things. But only once or twice. And even in those moments, that'll be a good thing. But the story gets easier to tell the more we tell it. And he's starting to get it down. And so some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. Here's one of the hard truths about stories, about good stories. They force people to examine their own story. That a really good story isn't just safe and disnified and everyone feels slightly better afterwards, but not really challenged or changed, that when we put our story out there, some will try to explain it away. Others will just want it explained. And we can't let either one of those change our story. And so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And he said, he is a prophet. Do you believe your own story? Whatever that story is. This guy was convinced. In fact, he's starting to figure out the implications of what has happened, draw conclusions. But the story you tell yourself, or that others tell for you, do you believe it? Does it have truth in it? Notice I didn't say, is it a good story or a happy story? But is it a true story? But just because it's true doesn't mean everyone will buy it. And verse 18 says, the Pharisees, the religious leaders and authorities, the, the Jews, as they're called in John's gospel, did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But we do not know how it is that he now sees. 
nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. No one can tell your story for you. We're blessed here at Artisan to have a wonderful range of ages that a lot of churches don't experience, and particularly on the younger end of the spectrum. And for many in those younger years of adulthood and teenage years as well, one of the most important things we can figure out about our story is that it's got to be ours especially those as we go off to college. I remember this was true for me. It could no longer be the story my parents told. When it's the dad that all his hopes and dreams are based on the major you've just picked. Or the mom who tells her friends about, oh, my boy, here's what he's like. It's got to be your story. Your friends can't tell it for you. Your pastor can't. Your classmates, your coworkers, your neighbors Only you can tell your story. And so for the second time, verse 24, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. They'll try to change your story. And he answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I do not know, but one thing I do know. What's one thing you do know about your story? Oftentimes we focus on the stuff we haven't got figured out, particularly in the church, in the Christian subculture. We get people really bound up in knots about how little they know about some obscure topic. When we really ought to start with what you do know. What are you doing with that? Because if you aren't doing much with the one thing you do know, if we had a whole bunch of other stuff, that's just going to confuse matters. And so for this young man, the one thing he knew was he was blind, and now he sees. The one thing I knew was that I had lived like some feral child in the woods of northern Maine, and that Jesus had received me. He didn't tame me. No. The church might do that, but don't blame that junk on Jesus. And I knew that there was a change. What's one thing you know? Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not even sure if it's just a fairy tale, this story? What's the one thing you know that no one can take away from you that shapes your story? That incredible experience that has shaped your life? The good thing? The damage? The average? The extraordinary? And so they begin to argue and debate about this guy's story. But the great thing about our story is really no one can take it away from us. And so even though they argue and disagree and 
debate the validity of it and whether it's believable or not, they finally get to the point where they answer him. Verse 34. And they say, you were born entirely in sins, and you're trying to teach us? You're trying to tell us this story? And it says they drove him out. So if someone rejects your story, does that mean they're rejecting you? Yes. It pretty much does. And it can't change your story. And so they drive him out. But God is a God of stories. That's why he made people. He loves stories. And so God hears those stories. And so Jesus, always looking for a good story, he hears how this story is unfolding. And it says in verse 35 that Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, this man, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And the one speaking with you is he. And he said, Lord, I believe. I believe the story. And he worshipped him. And entered the bigger story that Christ had for his life. And so there's a story, a truth story, but one I believe is also a true story. I think this actually happened. And in the telling of it, in the experiencing of it, what do we learn about maybe our own story? and how we might share ours, or why we'd even do that. Why would we bother? Because stories change things. Are they important? I think they are. And so, I don't think it's been since I was a youth pastor years ago that I've used an acronym while preaching, uh, but this one just jumped out at me. So all apologies uh, to the acronym phobic, but it's a simple one. You see in his story something personal, something raw that was his. And so, what's personal in your life? No one else's but yours. You saw something lived out that was visible, intriguing, observable, and that you saw it contain truth, that personal lived out truth. His story and our stories are meant to have a plot. That personal lived out truth. And I'm not talking some subjective, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. I, we can have the whole postmodern, modern foundational debate if you want. I'm not going to do it now. But it's true that what we experience is what we know. Uh, Henry David Thoreau had this great quote about the personal side of our story. He said, I should not talk so much about myself if there was anybody else whom I knew as well. Unfortunately, I am confined to this theme by the narrowness of my experience. It's okay to stick to your story. And so, a clever acronym for maybe understanding it, but not terribly helpful. 
What might be more helpful is if this was more of a storytelling community. That what Christ is doing in the midst of the people here became part of the stories we told each other. And that we each became comfortable with sharing our stories. And those who came as guests and visited and heard about what God was doing here learned that this was a place that received other stories. And so it might be helpful to hear from one of our own. Not just from the guy who is ostensibly paid to tell stories each week. And so last week, after one of the worship services, one of the folks here at Artisan said, God is birthing this story in my life. And I just feel the need to tell it. Could there be a space that I could do that? Because if it's a good story, it needs to get out. And so I want Renee to come on up and share her story with us. And so this will be Renee's second time doing it. She got to practice on the morning crew. So let's see, Renee, uh, if you change it at all. Because I'll, no, you won't. No. So Renee, and so what I want you to listen for is just Renee's story because it's powerful. I think stories change things. Those personal lived out truths when shared can have an impact. And so Renee, tell us sort of the personal event that really shaped your story these last few months or this last year. Um, on Thanksgiving Day, my husband, Tony, and I were visiting my parents up north, and we were hit head-on on our way to my parents' house. We were hit head-on by another driver. And since I was driving and she hit the front driver's side of the car and sort of collapsed it around me, I had a lot of major injuries. Um, including a lot of broken bones. And the most major injury I had was traumatic brain injury. Um, and my brain was swelling. And they had to take out pieces of my skull to allow my brain to swell. Um, my neurosurgeon said that on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the worst, my brain injury was a 9. And he couldn't even tell my parents if I was going to live or die or what the chances were. They had no idea. But my husband and my mother-in-law and all eight of my siblings and my parents um, and a lot of my brothers-in-law, they were all at the hospital and they surrounded me and comforted me. Um, I don't remember most of it because I spent five weeks in a coma, but they stayed with me and they prayed for me. And um, not, nothing that the doctors expected, all of the negative stuff they expected that is, um, happened. Like, they expected me to leave the hospital wearing diapers, being in a wheelchair, not remembering how to read or write, and maybe not even remembering my own family members. But none of that happened, which is one impressive thing. <laughs> um, but probably the most amazing thing was that all eight of my siblings were there together, <laughs> which is a huge deal. If you have a lot of siblings, um, I'm sure there aren't a lot of people here who have eight siblings. <laughs> um, most of them are girls, all but one are girls. And wow. with <laughs> eight sisters, there is a lot of sibling rivalry, and some of my sisters hadn't spoken to each other in literally years. Hmm. But that completely changed. And I've been praying since I was 16 
that God would reunite my family and bring them back to him. And the way they are treating each other and speaking to each other again is beautiful. And the way they now talk about God, especially a certain few of them, mm -hmm. are completely changing the way they talk about God. And it's pretty awesome. I'm very thankful for that. So as, uh, as now you've had what seems like a fairly full recovery, a, um, and for those uh, who are newer here at Artisan, this, this sort of impacted us as well. Um, as a church with a lot of younger people, none of those pastors have done a funeral for anyone here. We don't really do hospital visitation because they're fairly healthy and young and so we don't know that stuff. And here, someone who's supposed to have years ahead of them is lying in a hospital bed for weeks. The doctors, the family, and their friends here at Artisan not knowing, is Renee even there anymore? And so to see God answer prayers as they are stuck in Syracuse, because that was the closest hospital, separated from Rochester, which was their home, having, Tony having to get another apartment, change job situation, all that craziness. And in the midst of that, what God then did, what was some of the impact of that? You mentioned your family coming together, uh, the way spiritually you've seen some of your siblings perhaps draw closer to God in this. Um, maybe just for yourself, that one thing, you know, for him it was, once I was blind, now I see, acted like I was raised by bears, now I'm just a little more human. What was the, the truth that, as you said, really has transformed how you view life and your family and others and how Christ is in the midst of that? Could you leave us with that? of us a lot, and he will do amazing things in our lives and in our family's lives, and I just, well, I'm very, very thankful at what he did in my family, and I face every day with a complete new joy to just be alive, and I have to love every part about life, because God created everything around us, and we don't know how long we're going to be able to enjoy it. I, that sounds a little down. Thank you, Renee, for sharing your story. I'm going to pray for Renee, and maybe for us as well, as we've heard this story. And, uh, you know, part of why I wanted Renee to share this was, was because it's a powerful story, certainly. And to hear, again, some guy yammer about something, or this guy 2,000 years far removed, in a story that, let's be honest, a few of you, you're pretty sure that's made up, right? You're not buying it just yet even though a lot of us do, to hear one of your peers share a story, uh, that has power. But to also see an example of someone willing to speak their story into other people's lives, uh, I think was good for all of us to experience. So I'm going to pray for Renee and, uh, and for us as well. So God, we thank you for the incredible chapter that you created out of this tragedy 
this crazy event that made no sense. And yet, you used it to bring glory to yourself, to draw others to you, and that Renee was, was a part of that story. So my prayer for Renee is not only that the healing will continue to hold true, and thank you for the, the miracles upon miracles, nothing that medically should make sense, of her standing here, speaking coherently, walking, talking, with a gleam in her eye, loving life. Thank you for that. And so my prayer is that as Renee keeps practicing telling this story, that not only will it get easier to share, but that the impact will grow. And though some may try to explain her story away, others, our prayers, will just ask for a little more explanation. And in those ongoing conversations, Renee would have the further joy of seeing others come to Christ through what Christ is doing through her. There's nothing better we could do with our stories than to draw others to you. And so I pray that for Renee and for each of us here. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Renee. Thank you for sharing. God made people because God loves stories. I think that's true. And so for each of us here, as we've finished this series, which in many ways was a series of highs and lows, some fairly intense things we talked about. First week, OMG, oh my God. How do we experience God, particularly in prayer? Then the second week, WTF, what the F? When life just puts us crumpled in a passenger's seat, back seat, out of the car, laying in Syracuse, what do you do with that? And even last week, laugh out loud, LOL. How do we experience joy in that? And if we're experiencing joy, is there some survivor guilt? How do we share that with others? And so fairly intense things. And I think the way to make sense of those with each other is largely through telling and sharing those stories. And so it may seem like a simple thing, like not deeply profound or terribly spiritual, to just encourage one another to share our stories. But here's what I think is true. That as we begin to do that, God shows up in new ways. If you're already a follower of Christ, but you haven't shared your story, you have no idea what's in store for your faith if you start doing that. You want your faith to grow? You want prayers to start meaning something? Start sharing your story. Those who are newer Christians, we have folks here that are new in that journey of faith, don't make the mistake that some of us do of, of waiting until we get the story all figured out and packaged well. Don't wait till you take the classes, get the certificate, commission to go door to door telling your story or at the per just tell the story you got. And when you don't know the answer, say so. And for those who don't necessarily believe the story, 
and are here exploring it. You may wonder what purpose could there be in me sharing my story? That for these people here, you're probably thinking every last one of us is a follower of Christ. Not true. You're in good company of the whole spectrum here. You may think, my story is incomplete according to these folks. As you share your story and come to know who you are, you will get a better grasp of how God can be part of that. And throw in a little King James here, which I often don't do as well, but I already did an acronym, so what's in King James at this point? There's a Holy Ghost writer filling in stuff that we don't even realize. And so share your story. And if there was ever a safe place to put that out there, it is here at Artisan, where it's okay to have doubts about God and the Bible. It's okay to have a story that's, that's messy, that's NC-17, that's not all Disneyfied. We'd love to share stories together. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus is described as the author and perfecter of our story. As the author and perfecter of our faith, what we trust in, what we believe, the core of our story. And so my prayer for each of us here is we join him in co-writing the story of our lives. And so here's what I want us to do. In the response time for the remainder of worship, to go back to that real simple acronym, PLOT, that personal lived out truth. And while you're praying and reflecting, perhaps going to the communion table, singing the songs, I want you to be thinking of that one plot point in your life. So do that today. And as you leave this place eventually, as hopefully you have a hard time falling asleep because something God said through me really has got a hold of you. What's that one thing that shapes your story? And then here's the bigger challenge. This week, tell someone. Tell someone. And your cat doesn't count. Your cat doesn't care anyways. Um, your dog might, but your cat, completely indifferent. Tell someone. And tell it straight, tell it raw, tell it true. And start sharing stories. Let me pray. God, we thank you. I thank you that you are a God of stories. That you're not a God of abstract ideas, of simple truisms and throwaway proverbs. You are a God of full and rich stories. And that you are a God who is so creative that you do not do reruns. You don't do reprints. You have a unique story at work in each life here. 
And my deep prayer is that everyone would start to understand their story better and that in the understanding and in the telling that you would show up and they would see how your larger story is meant to include their chapters. That your story of grace and forgiveness and leading a life into new places and new adventures is what you have for each person here. So help us find the plot. Help us see the arc of our story. And help us share that wherever it is so it can be a blessing and a challenge and an encouragement to those around us. We thank you for our stories. Now help us share them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So for the remainder of worship, kind of respond and reflect. The table of communion will be open, which is an incredible story told through the elements of bread and the cup. If you're seeking after Christ, if you sense that the story he offers is one that you're already a part of or that you would like to be a part of, I think it's appropriate for you to approach that table, tear a piece of bread, dip it in the wine or the juice that are labeled there, and receive that, knowing that it represents the story of Christ's sacrifice, the only story that makes sense of all the other ones. And in faith, take that to nourish. And if you're not there yet, that's okay. Use this time to reflect, to pray. And if it would help to talk or pray with someone else, seek out that person. I'm going to hang out here in the front row. You can certainly come chat with me. If there's someone else here you trust, look up to, think would be a good ear for your story, you can go tell them as well. But respond as God leads you and follow through on what you've heard from his word today. Amen? Continue worshiping.